0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to Money for the Rest of Us. This is a personal finance show. It's on money, how it works, how to invest it, and how to live without worrying about it. I'm your host, David Stein. Today is episode 185, and it's titled, Are U.S. States Just Like Greece? Illinois? The state of Illinois is the fifth largest economy in the United States and the 18th largest worldwide. Per capita GDP is over $54,000. And the amount of output per person in Illinois is over $54,000. And the economy has expanded by over 11% since 2012. And the banks there are doing well. Overall, the banks in Illinois have non-performing loans as a percent of their total loans of only around 1%. Unemployment rate is roughly 5%. And the economy's big, $850 billion in output. But there were some challenges in Illinois this year. The state legislature failed to pass a budget For the second year, this was in May of 2017, and the state owed over $15 billion in unpaid bill. Their debt was downgraded to just above junk status. So Moody's and S&P, about triple B minus, they have massive pension liabilities that are unfunded. The three largest pension plans have about $136 billion of unfunded liabilities. And the market for their bonds took notice. At one point, the taxable, so not tax-exempt, but the taxable general obligation bond for the state of Illinois due in the year 2035 was yielding over 7%. And the tax-exempt bonds the 10-year tax-exempt bonds were yielding over 5%. Now, right now, things have settled down. They were able to finally pass a budget. But tax-exempt bonds, 10-year bonds in Illinois, still yield about 4%. And on a tax-equivalent basis, if you're in a 25% tax bracket, that's about a 5.3% tax-equivalent yield. So that's Illinois. Illinois. Had some struggles, has some challenges, but still economy's growing. But their debt yielding about 5% on a tax-equivalent basis, 4% tax-exempt. Let's compare that to Greece. Well, first, let me step back. The overall amount of debt in Illinois is $62 billion. And with their economy at $850 billion in output, that's only about 7.3% debt to GDP. Greece is at 180% of GDP in terms of their government debt. Portugal, it's about 131%. It's important, much more indebted countries. Bank loans, 36% of bank loans in Greece are are non-performing. So they're they're in default, They're, they're 90 days or more behind. 36% 36% versus less than 1% in Illinois. 12% of loans in Portugal are, are delinquent. Unemployment rate in Greece, 20.6%. In Portugal, the unemployment rate is, is roughly 8.5%. At the worst, Greece had unemployment over 25%. In 2013, and Portugal, over 17%. Now, GDP in Portugal, they're not as wealthy as Illinois. Per capita GDP in Portugal is about $20,000. It's around $18,000 in Greece. And again, compared to Illinois, which is around $54,000, overall U.S., around $58,000, Germany, about $45,000. So Portugal and Greece, only about 40% of the per capita GDP of Germany Germany the, the Greece economy Hasn't grown very well At all Since the first quarter Of 2013 The economy has only Grown on a, overall About 2% That's after a 27% Contraction From 2007 To, to the bottom of 2013 Portugal's grown better It's, it's up about 8% overall relative to to, from the bottom. But we can compare that with Illinois. Illinois has grown 11% over roughly the same time period. But what are the interest rates in Greece and Portugal versus Illinois? Portugal 10-year government bonds yield 1.8%, less than U.S. Treasury bonds, which yield roughly 2.4%. Greece's debt is yielding, a 10-year bond, government bond in Greece, about 4.5%, less than Illinois. Greece is so much more indebted, as is Portugal. Why is that? How is it that Greece and Portugal have lower-yielding debt than Illinois? In the case of Portugal, lower-yielding debt than the U.S. Are they safer? Less risky? Nobel Prize-winning economist Joseph Stiglitz in his book The Euro writes, an economy facing an economic slump has three primary mechanisms to restore full employment. Lower interest rates to stimulate consumption and investment. Lower exchange rates to stimulate exports Or use fiscal policy increasing spending or decreasing taxes. So increase the amount of demand in the economy by the government spending more or decreasing taxes. Now Think about Illinois and Greece. They can't really lower their own interest rates. In the case of Illinois, that's the responsibility of the central bank, the Federal Reserve, In the case of Greece, it's the responsibility of the European Central Bank. They they can't adjust their exchange rates because Illinois uses the dollar, Greece uses the euro. And they can't use fiscal policy because in the case of Illinois, they have to have a balanced budget. It took them two years to get one, but they constitutionally have to run a balanced budget. They can't run a deficit and use fiscal stimulus in the same way the the U.S. federal government can. Nor can Greece, because in order to become a member of the European Union, Greece and the other countries promise to keep their budget deficits to GDP of less than 3% and to keep their debt balance at 60% of GDP, Now it's way more than that in terms of their debt balance at 180%. But that was the agreement. And so if anything, when the economy slows in Greece, they have to be raising taxes and cutting spending in order to keep that deficit, the GDP, within the agreement to be part of this common currency. So in some ways, Illinois and Greece have the same constraints when it comes to fighting the the economic recessions that might come along. But there's a difference. Residents of Illinois, when they get frustrated and, and can't find work, they can move. Here's what Stiglitz says in his book. When, say, South Dakota, or in this case, Illinois, face an adverse shock, people move out. Because English is the nation's common language. Because many key programs, like Social Security and Medicare, are national programs, Migration is relatively easy. There are, of course, costs of moving. Some professions like law, you have to get licensed, might serve as a barrier. But in comparison to Europe, he says, well, in principle there's free migration in the European Union, there's large linguistic and cultural barriers. And even some licensing differences. Americans are used to moving from one region to another. Europeans are not. There's another problem he points out. Few Americans in other states worry about, say, South Dakota becoming depopulated. But Greece does care if most Greeks or even most talented young Greeks leave the country. And it should care. In the United States, it makes a little difference in the larger scheme of things whether people move to the jobs or their jobs move to the people. In Europe, The Greeks and Estonians want to be sure that enough jobs move to those relatively small countries to preserve their economy, culture, and identity. Another big difference is that South Dakotans think of themselves first and foremost as Americans. If a South Dakotan goes to California, they're not considered a guest. They can learn to vote or be approved to vote, learn to vote, can be approved to vote in short order. You don't consider yourself an immigrant. I've moved to Idaho. I'm not an immigrant of Idaho. I'm American. But that's not necessarily the case in Europe. And so you have these cultural barriers that makes it more difficult to move. So that gives Greece less flexibility than Illinois. It's a couple other things, though. In the U.S., the federal government provides these national programs, this social safety net, welfare programs. They cover most of the cost of unemployment insurance, Medicaid, Social Security, other food purchase programs to assist the poor. These are national programs. So if there's a struggle in Illinois, there's federal government funds going to help the people in Illinois. It's not the case in Greece. When Greece is struggling, it's the responsibility of the Greece, Greek government to help out. They can't draw on welfare resources from the European Union. It doesn't work that way. Another difference is I mentioned the banks. We have common banking unions in the U.S. The banks are mostly national the, the federal deposit insurance is national. If banks in Illinois, if a bank in Illinois goes, goes belly up, goes bust, the federal government steps in and reimburses the depositors. In Greece, 36% of loans are in default. There is no European Central Bank coming in and, and saving those banks. When 19 countries came together in 2002 and implemented the euro, they knew that there was these constraints, that they couldn't devalue their currency, that it was all together. And that's why they had this agreement to keep budget deficits less than GDP or less than 3% of GDP, to keep debt debt the GDP less than 60%, because the idea was if they were similar in that regard, some of these cultural differences would, could be overcome. And if different countries are similar enough, if there's a, some type of recession, it can impact them all. The other thing, if one country was going to have a challenge, instead of, they couldn't devalue their currency, but they could do what's known as an internal devaluation, their economy would slow. Wages would drop and be cut. Prices would drop. And that would allow those countries' exports to, to be more competitive. One exports tourism. So with prices dropping, wage dropping, ideally tourism would pick up. And some of their goods could be produced more cheaply because wages would have dropped and allowed the countries essentially that are struggling to internal devalue, and then that would allow them to become more like the other countries. Hasn't worked that way. Here's the problem. When you cut people's wages, workers' wages, they get discouraged. They don't become more productive. In some ways, they become less productive. And while prices in, Europe, in Greece have dropped, it hasn't been enough to offset the major contraction as they've cut income cut pension plans exports have not been enough to offset that the economy has stagnated and the debt to gdp and the household debt to gdp is still there and so that this is a, a major major flaw in the euro yet greece's interest rates are less than illinois even though greece doesn't have the benefit of banking union, of being able to draw on the resources of the European Central Union, at least not in terms of automatic stabilizers and unemployment insurance. They have drawn on them. In May 2010, Greece received a financial assistance package worth 80 billion euros from its European partners and another 30 billion from the International Monetary Fund. Two years later, another 73 billion euro package from European partners and the IMF and again in July 2015 there was another 86 billion euro package why because the market was no longer willing to, to buy Greece debt it didn't they felt the default risk was too high interest rates soared and the European partners had to come in. Illinois faced the same situation. Their their debt yields were were rising to over 7% for the taxable bonds. But then, at some point, they were able to pass a budget, and they've been able to issue bonds again in Illinois, as has Greece. They have done some more bond issuance. The market has trusted them. And in the case of Greece, has trusted Greece even more than Illinois because the bond yields on a tax equivalent basis are lower in Greece than they are in Illinois. Let me pause and share some words from this week's sponsors. We have a brand new sponsor to our show. It's Yahoo Finance. Yahoo's been around for decades. And right now, get an extended 30-day free trial when you go to monarchmoney.com slash David. That's M-O-N-A-R-C-H-M-O-N-E-Y dot com slash David for your extended 30-day free trial. So why is it that interest rates in Illinois are higher on a tax equivalent basis than Greece or Portugal? What's investor sentiment? It's just perception of investors. Just as Stiglitz in his book, The Euro, writes that these sentiment changes can occur gradually or rapidly. Surprisingly, the changes often happen suddenly and not in response to any real news. The mystery is often not that the lenders are pessimistic, but why weren't they more pessimistic earlier? Such changes have been called Sudden stops, the flow of money into a country suddenly halts, and the country goes into crisis. It is when sentiments change quickly that a debt crisis is likely to follow, as lenders refuse to roll over their debts as it becomes due, and the country can't find anyone willing to lend. That's what happened in Greece. And was happening in Illinois. And now, lenders are willing to lend to Greece and to Portugal. Now, there's a big difference between Portugal. They have much lower interest rates than Greece. Which actually, in some ways, is surprising. Given Portugal's not that much more indebted than Greece on a government basis. And households and businesses are way more indebted in Portugal. Portugal than they are in Greece. Household debt as a percent of GDP in Greece is 63%. And as a percent of disposable income, it's 95%. Compare that to Portugal, household debt to GDP is 86%. So about 20 points higher than Greece. And household debt to disposable income is 124%. And it's not just household debt that's higher in Portugal. Non-financial corporate debt to GDP is 170% in Portugal and only 70% in Greece. Yet Portugal has interest rates way lower. Now, granted, their economy has expanded faster. Their exports have expanded faster. The unemployment is lower. But a big difference between the two is the European Central Bank, has been willing to buy Portuguese debt and not buy Greek debt. The fact that the European Central Bank has bought Portuguese bond has put downward pressure on interest rates in Portugal and has made it easier for households and businesses to service the debt. Now, where are we when it comes to the European Union? We've not heard much. We've heard a lot about Brexit in terms of as the U.K. negotiates its exit from the European Union, but the U.K. never adopted the euro, so it's always had more flexibility. Their currency could adjust relative to the euro. If if the U.K. got into a a serious economic recession and, and Europe, for whatever reason, didn't, They could cut interest rates. The Bank of England and the pound would depreciate relative to the euro and the dollar. And and that would help UK exports and would help their economy expand. And And the Bank of England or the UK government could use fiscal stimulus in terms of they could run even bigger deficits by spending more or reducing taxes. Greece doesn't have that option. Portugal doesn't have that option. And just because interest rates are lower than Illinois doesn't mean the problem has gone away. It hasn't. The next recession that comes along, and I'm not predicting one, and the European economy is actually looking pretty good when we look at a number of indicators, but sudden stops can happen again where investors are worried and will be unwilling to roll over Portuguese bonds or Greek bonds. If investors are unwilling to roll over the debt to buy more bonds, then Greece and Portugal will default or the European partners will have to structure another bailout package. But the problem hasn't gone away. The, the flaws in the, in the European Union, the euro, the common currency, are still there. Internal devaluation doesn't work. The prices within a country don't fall enough to generate enough exports in order to offset the contraction, the depression that can occur. The fact that Germany runs a huge trade surplus with other European countries is a problem because that surplus has to be offset by a trade deficit. And if a country within the European Union is running a trade deficit and their exchange trade can't adjust to run more balanced trade, that means households and businesses have to come up with the income to buy those imports. And they're not getting the income from exports so that there needs to be an offset. There needs to be capital flows coming into the country to offset that trade deficit capital flows in terms of investment into the country or in terms of being willing to lend to lend to those households and businesses and then the debt balances keep getting higher to where they're unwilling to lend again and we get another downward spiral in terms of an economic recession or even depression the only solution long term to keep a common currency, when the countries are dissimilar, is you have a common banking system. So FDIC insurance would be across the European Union instead of the Greek banks being on their own with 36% bad loans as a, as a as a percent of the total loan portfolio. And you need the mutualization of debt. So there's European debt, not Greek debt, not Portugal debt, and you need automatic stabilizers across the whole country, the equivalent of unemployment insurance across the entire continent of Europe, not with the individual countries. Now, it's unclear if Illinois was unable to pass a budget and rates kept going up, whether the U.S. government would step in or any other state whether they get into some type of of crisis, whether the federal government would step in to assist. They might default on their debt, but it wouldn't be as devastating because it wouldn't necessarily impact the banking system because we have a national banking system. It wouldn't necessarily impact the federal debt, and we would still have... If Illinois fell into a, a depression because of it or recession, there would the, the, the money to pay for unemployment insurance and other safety net issues would would be there from the federal government and people could move and they, they could move to a different state where there are jobs. And so there's way more flexibility. And so from that aspect, there's some commonality between U.S. states and the countries, the individual countries within the U- European Union. But there's many things that are different in terms of the flexibility to deal with these financial and fiscal crises. You can get show notes for this episode at moneyfortherestofus.com. While you're there, why don't you sign up for my free insider's guide? This is a weekly email I send with the links to all the articles and books I refer to in that week's episode. There's also a, an article on, sometimes it's on the topic Sometimes it's on a completely different topic that I just wanted to share in my weekly newsletter. And so you can subscribe to that at MoneyForTheRestOfUs.com. Or if you're a U.S.-based listener, just text the word INSIDER to the number 44222. Everything I've shared with you in this episode has been for general education. I've not considered your specific financial situation. I don't provide investment advice on this show. This is just education of money, investing in the economy. Have a great week.